at a point, wherever your enough point is as to the life that you want to lead, to say, you know what, I have enough money, I have enough financial stability to step away, change it up. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. In our first episode, we will hear from Lisa Chalette how to create meaning from unwanted transitions in life. As a graduate from Harvard and Harvard Business School and long-standing Goldman Sachs partner, she is sharing her story about the pivotal moment when she chose to leave her most accomplished career after her father fell from a ladder at home and died. Lisa is a special person in many different ways. She's talking about how she has been re-evaluating her life after this sudden loss, created new values, and worked backwards from non-negotiables like being home for dinner every night. What I find truly incredible about her is how honestly she is sharing with us what matters most to her now. She speaks about the luxury of being spontaneously available, the ability of consciously using her time proactively and intentionally instead of reactively, and maybe most importantly, how she has become her own source of confidence. It is interesting to see what happens when you create time and space in your life, she says. She sees everything that happens as an experiment she can learn from. You will also hear about her legacy that she wants to leave behind, which is about being in sync with the decisions she made. Lisa is the founder of Extraordinary Women on Boards, an ever-growing community of hundreds of women directors on boards focused on advancing board excellence and raising the influence and presence of diverse board directors. We are proud to be having you as our first guest at Before It's Too Late. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. So am I. Absolutely. Lisa, you have this outstanding career and education. Everybody can only be dreaming of. You went to Harvard, Harvard Business School. Then you've worked with Goldman Sachs for a very, very long period, um, 13 years as a partner with, at Goldman Sachs. And then in your life, you had a pivotal moment where you changed your life and changed your thoughts and feelings about how to approach life. And that is really interesting to us. Tell me more about that phase in your life. Sure. Um, you know, I've reflected a lot about transitions, the transitions that people go through in life, some of which are voluntary and well thought out and planned, and some of which are involuntary and are catalyzed by other things. And it's interesting over the course of a 20-year career that I had at Goldman Sachs, 13 of which uh, as a partner, you know, there were a lot of changes that I made even during that career. But the big one that you're talking about was when I decided to leave. And that was catalyzed by, unfortunately, somewhat of a tragic event. My father, who had otherwise been in good health, had recently retired from a long medical pro profession career as an OBGYN, a beloved one, got up on a ladder to change a light bulb in his house, fell, and never regained consciousness. And that happened in October of 2013. 
And I will never forget getting that phone call and having to drop everything and race home, race to my mother's home to figure out what was going on and what that meant. And I think that that event, which unfortunately resulted in his passing away, really enforced something that I think few of us do in life. And it's been so interesting in this pandemic to reflect on it. And that is pause, take a pause and just take stock of what kind of life are you living? What kind of decisions have you made? Are you happy? Have your priorities changed? And I think human beings tend to like status quo and like showing up every day and doing the the next day's worth of things. And sadly, sometimes it takes an enforced pause like, like this to just make you slow down. And that's what it did for me. I had been racing, racing, racing during my performance reviews when I was in equity sales. I used to get, you know, comments that I ran on the trading floor. I mean, I was never slow. I was always moving. There were always things to do. And I I loved that. There was a tremendous energy from that. And so that pretty much characterized my career. And then boom, you hit a brick wall. You really have a chance and a reason to reevaluate. And for me, I took some time and really reflected on a few things. One, that my kids at that time, I have two sons. One was a sophomore in high school. The other was an eighth grader. And I really wasn't, if I was honest with myself, spending enough time with them. Uh, You know, I had always been comfortable as a working mom. They were tremendously supportive of me as a working mom and proud of me. But, you know, I had to commute far. I had long hours. My work at Goldman was very consuming and intense. And I never really made it home for dinner in time. No one even expected me to be home for dinner. And so I realized that there was a short, precious amount of time that I had left before they disappeared off to college and that I wanted to be present. And so working backwards from that as a non-negotiable, the non-negotiable I set in my mind was, I'm going to be home every night for dinner. I realized that I could not be comfortable with the way I love to do my job as a partner at Goldman Sachs. I had a certain standard for myself. And there was no dimmer switch. It was either 100% on or off. So I didn't really explore options like part-time or find ways in which I could be comfortable doing it with reduced hours, meeting that non-negotiable. That's just who I was. I'm sure the firm would have helped me out if I wanted to pursue those kinds of options, but that wasn't the way that I perform. And so I made a very big decision, which was I'm going to retire. And I was, I think, 48 at the time, quite young. Oh, yes. In, you know, I I think sometimes also people don't stop and consider their options at any given point. It's work, 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 work. So you may have saved up enough money if you were careful and, you know, thoughtful and depending on obviously the career that you were in. But you might be at a point wherever your enough point is as to the life that you want to lead to say, you know what, I have enough money, I have enough financial stability to step away, change it up. Not everybody has that option, but it really depends on on you. And we often don't do that evaluation. Or maybe we're in a mindset of more, more, more. But you know what, 
I realized that I thankfully had saved some money, was not living extravagantly, was able to step away for at least a period of time. And it was amazing when I realized that I had that optionality. I had never thought about life in terms of that optionality. And so all of these things converged during this pause. And I realized that my priorities were different. I think at different points in one's life, one's priorities change. And um, my family was going to be at the center and primary. And I was going to arrange the rest of my life around that. And once I decided that, it, it felt so right. And it wasn't, you know, a, a, a struggle in my mind. I still had to figure out how to leave well. And I think I was still surprised on the other side of it because, you know, you have this intense career and no one really prepares you for what it's like to not be in that crazy schedule, not be busy or productive in the same ways that you've been measuring yourself. And so that was a big adjustment, but I'm so grateful for that time. And that was, I think, the nature of, of that period that you're asking about. Lisa, this is still, even though you had enough money put aside and sort of a safety net, still it takes a lot of courage to take such a decision because you could also lose something like acknowledgement and all the great feedback of this outstanding career. Do you think we need tragic events like yours, like the loss of your father, to really think, to really step back and pause? Or do you think it could also go without? You know, I think that is a great question. And I've thought about that a lot. When you're faced with that situation, it, it, it's right in your face. You, you have no choice. And, and to some degree, you know, maybe certain religious practices are, are organized such that you're forced to take time to think. But because of that, I mean, my goodness, let's not rely on tragic events to reevaluate things. I mean, what I encourage um, mentees of mine or, or peers of mine to think about is every year you should set aside some time where you just reflect on your priorities and ask yourself a few questions, which if you're busy, you might not ask, which are, what are my priorities right now? Am I living my priorities? Am I comfortable with the, the matching of those two things or is there a gap? Am I happy? What does happiness mean for me right now? And just have a small alignment. You can do it with a buddy if you want because sometimes, sometimes it's a lonely exercise that you're not best disciplined to do for yourself. Sometimes we're not honest with ourselves. But if you have someone to be accountable with and it could be a friend, you know, it could be a partner, whatever it might be, Every year, I think if you commit to doing that and you're really honest with yourself, then you don't have to wait for the tragedy. Or who knows, you could win the lottery. You could be abducted by aliens. I mean, there are so many things that could happen that force you to really stop in your tracks. But I think it's, it's so much better if we really start to make a habit of asking ourselves those questions. And allowing for, expecting the fact that the priorities that you had when you started your job in your 20s might not be the same priorities you have in your 30s or the same priorities you have in your 40s or 50s or whatever it might be. You evolve as a human, but you, we sometimes live with decisions that we made 
at a point in time a long time ago and never question them because we're too busy, in air quotes. So I, my thinking about that has definitely changed a lot. And maybe I wish I had done that better and thought more about my trade-offs that I was making before that tragic event happened. But, but I will say that, you know, every experience is a learning experience. And so from that experience, it has helped me much more easily to make those kinds of trade-off decisions and evaluate those decisions since. And I've had to make a few of those too. I think that's an amazing advice you're giving there and great that you are sharing your wisdom with us. Tell us more about your new life then afterwards when you were, so to say, in a completely new life. You just said you, you it felt so right. So tell us about what happened thereafter and what how your life changed. I didn't really have a plan except as I said, to be home in time for dinner. And um, as one of my friends suggested to me, the luxury of being spontaneously available. Now think about that for a moment. That's really stuck with me. I've gotten such great advice along the way. And that one really hit a nerve because my goodness, when had I had that luxury? Never. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, that is another way of looking at time. And so I really have thought a lot about my relationship with time. I've had to unwire a lot of the wiring that made me successful in my um, prior roles in life. And that's, you know, profoundly uncomfortable. And you know what, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. So I try to be really self-aware. And I try to think, you know, so carefully about my time because it's precious. And so far, I think it's one of the few things that we haven't come up with a, a, a solution for changing the shape of. And we, you know, it's finite. Once, once it's gone, we don't get it back. And so I have just adopted a view of experimenting. First of all, I really try to be very proactive as opposed to reactive or responsive with my time. Um, I try. I'm, I'm sometimes good at it. I'm sometimes not. But I really try to think, what do I need to do today and why? Or what do I need to do over a longer period of time and why? So I try to be proactive. I try to be intentional. So still really trying to think, okay, what matters right now or what matters generally? And what are the guiding things that, you know, everything I do needs to kind of fit fit into. So that's number one. I think, I think number two is to become kind of my own source of self-confidence. And so I will experiment with things. Everything is an experiment to me because there's no question that no matter what I do or what I try, I will learn from. So that leaves you a lot of freedom to embrace a lot of different things. And that as much as I certainly seek advice from others. I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have a, a wonderful network of, of really smart and caring friends and, and uh, you know, former colleagues and other folks that I really love the judgment of. You know, ultimately, it's going to be me that makes these decisions. And again, I approach them by thinking, let's try this. I try to make smart decisions. I try to take smart risks. And if something doesn't work, then I've still learned something and I change it up. And if something does work, then I keep at it and 
kind of do a lot of assessing. Um, so as a result, you know, over what will now be six years since I left Goldman, I've had a number of interesting experiences. I love the fact that there are a lot of them. I don't wait for opportunities to find me. I sometimes seek them out. And sometimes they last a short time, sometimes a longer time. Sometimes they're someone else's thing I join. Sometimes they're something I create. But, you know, I, I would say that I always have in the back of my mind that experience uh, that we just talked about when my dad passed away. And one of the things over the past six years that I also needed to deal with um, was the fact that my mom got suddenly quite ill and quite debilitated, you know, from being a, a very, you know, healthy, vibrant, dynamo, dramatic change. And so I recognized very quickly that this was another situation where I was very lucky to have the ability to step away from what I was doing. I'd actually gone back to work full time, if you can believe that, um, and spend my time caring for her. Um, she passed away uh, in April of 2020. And so I had a year of, I have to say it wasn't a particularly pleasant year, but I'm so grateful that I had that time to devote to her and to that. But making those decisions is no longer hard for me. And so, you know, it's funny when people describe those kinds of decisions or any decision of change as, as courageous, because in a way it, it is, but in a way, shouldn't we be really trying to orient our lives around optionality? Shouldn't we be thinking and asking those kinds of questions to make sure we're on track with ourselves more often? This is exactly why you are such a good example, Lisa, because you really took the courage, and I do believe that it is about courage and overcoming fears and overcoming some inner struggles, because uh, we all tend to fear to lose something, whatever it is. But you are an amazing example for taking on a new life and living all that that you would not have lived and becoming who you would have not been had you not taken that decision. You were talking about your great network. A couple of years ago, you founded this amazing network, Extraordinary Women on Boards, where I'm honored to be part of too. Tell us more about that. So, you know, that wasn't something that, despite all my talk of intentionality, I set out to do. But you wouldn't have done that. Would you still be with Goldman, right? Oh, no, I, I don't think I would have. And so, you know, again, it's, it's interesting what happens when you create time and space in your life. I have found that my best ideas and my, um, my best ideas come during those times. Sometimes I can create situations because I can be proactive. I might reach out to someone and say, hey, how are you doing? That in a, in a normal, busy, scheduled day, I might think of that person, but I might not actually write the, the email that takes 30 seconds to write. And so you have, you have the opportunity to use your time to, to just observe things and listen better and, and be more present and be focused. And so, you know, I've always been someone that no matter what my role, I've tried to listen well for pain points, you know, whether when I was a salesperson or in any, any of my any of my roles when I was in a brand role, you know, kind of listening for the target audience and what their pain points were. So 
you know, that's just the way I operate. So once I was outside of Goldman in this period of time when I could move more slowly, when I could be more proactive, and when I could just get out and meet people, what I found was that I was meeting actually a lot of women who were in transition, who had made, you know, what you might say was a courageous decision to change it up, that they felt either in response to, let's say, some tragic event or in response to just the feeling that they wanted to realign their priorities or wanted to change the way they did things or control their time more. They left very accomplished careers and were like me, I like to say, wandering, exploring, um, and, uh, and, and, and really thinking about what mattered to them. And in each instance, when I met these women, I found that the most interesting thing they found about me was that I was serving on a public and a private board at that time. And I thought, wow, that's what's so interesting about me. That's interesting itself. Why, why is that? And what I heard was a repeated pain point, which is, I am a woman. I have changed up my career now to, as one of the things I do, serve on boards. I've gone through the, the challenge of getting on a board or two, and I'm the only woman on my board. I would really love to meet more women on boards. And I heard this over and over and over again. And so by the 15th time I heard this, I'm like, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. I'm the common link. Let me at least get this group together and introduce everyone to each other. How awesome would that be? And um, I won't just do it as a cocktails or a dinner or something like that. I will get a really smart speaker on a topic that would be interesting. So everyone would leave that session, not only having made a lot of connections, but also smarter to go back to their boards. And that event was fantastic. It was a lunch meeting in a private room. The speaker bought lunch, like nobody had anything at risk. There was only upside. And everyone loved meeting each other. The energy in that room was amazing. And so at the end, as I had determined, I gave everyone everyone's email addresses and I said, okay, you know, let's stay in touch. And everybody left. Every single woman from that event then reached out to me separately and said, keep doing this. You must keep doing this. And I'm like, what's this? Well, keep getting us together. This was fantastic. And so I said, okay, because I had the time to do that. So that became my side hustle. I heard the pain point that these women wanted to not only get together with other women on boards and, and, and get to know each other, but also as board directors, they just wanted to be excellent. They wanted to discuss issues. They wanted to do the best that they could on their boards. And, and no matter how much of an accomplished career you might have, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for everything that you might encounter in the boardroom. So how great to have kind of a safe space and a bit of community in which we can go and talk about how we can all be better board directors. And so I was inspired by that. And I said, sure, let's let's get together. And so I kept doing it every five, six weeks or so. And what started to happen was, number one, I realized that I was pretty good at curating topics, finding speakers, you know, finding a, a partner to a venue, to provide a venue so that, you know, we could we could get together in a nice space. But the women started to ask me, hey, I know another amazing woman who's on a corporate board or two. May I bring her along? And so I said, of course. 
And completely organically, what has happened from that one, you know, gathering is that now four years later, this group, which I called Extraordinary Women on Boards, has become over 350 women who have all been referred by other members who were all just wonderful, committed, dedicated, eager, love the fact that this is a safe space. Anybody can bring their questions. Everyone will feel included. Everyone will be respected. And we all get together and we learn. And, you know, unexpectedly during this pandemic, going to virtual has made it much easier than arranging the intricacies of a lunch meeting in person in a room with, I mean, it's been so much easier to set up Zoom meetings. And there have been so many issues for board directors that have really created a need for comparing notes and determining what the emerging best practices are for a time period which has been filled with so much uncertainties and 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 issues and and craziness and things that um, you know maybe in the boardroom wouldn't have been expected or certainly not expected all at once. So it's been it's been a tremendous way for everyone again to pursue that excellence. Lisa, that's such an amazing network you have built there. It's so powerful. And I can only confirm what you said that I think I can speak for each member of this powerful network that we are so grateful for you for having set this up. And you bring along these amazing speakers and lecturers. And I have learned already so much. And it's a fantastic thing. Let me just say, I mean... I mean, look, look at the, the serendipitous effects of that. You and I get to meet and, and become friends and end up doing something awesome like, like this uh, podcast you've created, which I think is so important, uh, especially right now. Um, so, yeah, you know, I get a lot of inspiration and energy from it, too. And I think we've only scratched the surface of what this community can do together. Absolutely. And you know, me being a hospice worker, I'm thinking life from its end. And I always ask myself, how would I think in hindsight, lying on my deathbed, about certain decisions? So what do you think you will be thinking when you're on your deathbed about the legacy you've created other than money? Let's pause for a moment on that. I remember when you first told me that, you know, you became a hospice worker. It was right around, I think, the time when I had just had some experience with hospice for my mom. From your mom, yes. I remember that. I think that the experience of losing, you know, now two parents um, really has made me aware of how little, at least at least in society in the U.S., um, how little we talk about death, how little we talk about legacy, how little we prepare each other for what our wishes should be. I mean, talk about something that ought to have a lot of intentionality around it um, and where there is tremendous fear and discomfort to having those kinds of conversations. So you end up in situations where Sadly, and, and certainly in this pandemic, it's just been even worse. You, you know, you might lose someone dear to you, but not know their wishes. You might lose them and not have heard all of their stories. You might not have an opportunity to have known what they thought. The question you just asked me, their legacy 
should have been. And it's hard to orient life while you have the time around ensuring those things happen well if you don't discuss them, which is why I think that, you know, the perspective that you bring and these questions that you're asking are so, so important. And had it not been for my own experiences, especially with my mom, like, I wouldn't think that way either. You know, we take a lot of this stuff for for granted. And anyway, um, to your question, I feel really good about my decisions. And I am so grateful and really feel it's such a blessing to have gotten to spend more time with my family and reorient things. And then during this pandemic, my sons have both been home for a lot of it and normally would have been in, in college or starting first jobs and things. And so I am grateful every day for that time with them. I would like to think that I have led my life with integrity, that I've lived my values well, that I have been very thoughtful about what matters and have been a meaningful presence in, uh, in my family. I mean, those are things that matter a lot to me. I like to create possibilities. I realize that I am a very good connector. I like listening for pain points. I like solving problems. I love ideas. And I think because I've had, um, you know, a very, a background, I guess, that's, that's had a lot of diversity of experience in it, I'm good at connecting dots. And I, I like seeing things that others might not be able to see. And so I find opportunities to do that every day. And I try to be intentional. And I try to be happy and make others happy around me. I cannot think of anybody living a more fulfilled and more meaningful life than you, Lisa. That is just so amazing. Really, it really is. I don't know about that. I mean, there's so much more that 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 I could do, but you know, at least at least let's start there. What will it be that you will be doing in the future? Who will you become even more in a couple of years? You know, I don't know. And I'm totally comfortable with not knowing. I think not knowing enables me to continue to be super curious and um, really intentional about learning. So I love meeting people. I love thinking about how to bring people together. I love learning new things. And I guess if that's my mindset, then anything's possible. Anything's possible. And it's also your legacy. That mindset, it's, it's the best legacy you can give to any anyone out there in the world, especially in times of uncertainty that we have now. And not everybody can deal with uncertainty, with the pure not knowing as well and as comfortable. So you're clearly an example of fearlessness. And not only that we feel a lot of discomfort and fear around talking about death, but it's also how I found that we take life for granted. You know, we live our lives as if there would be a tomorrow forever. Yes. We, we don't even, you know, consider that it could happen, that we lose life in a blink of an eye. Right. And this is why I wanted with this podcast also um, shed a light on the fact 
that it could always be too late yeah. to live a meaningful life. And um, I'm so grateful, Lisa, that you took the time for uh, this podcast to um, talk about how you change your perspective on life to talk about what it took to create a meaningful life that you reflect again and again, because it's an ongoing process. It's a journey. It, it's never done and then it's done forever, right? So um, I cannot think of any greater example. And thank you so much for sharing this with us. Last question, on a scale from one to 10, how fulfilled do you feel your life is right now? I feel really good. I think I think I'm I'm right up there within you know eight or nine, and uh, still leaves a little bit room for me to push myself further. But you know I I sleep well at night and I try to be a good person and um, I try to be grateful a lot. And I'll just say I was so touched when you told me about this idea for a podcast and about the work that you've done. And it, it really, really resonated with me as somebody who not only had had recently been through, you know, an experience that, that had already put me in the mode of reflecting on life and thinking about what I wished I had had time to do with my mom, for example. I am usually someone who is always seeking out smart questions. I may not know the answers. But I like to know really smart questions. And I've been lucky in my career to work with people, you know, who have been like super smart about risk and who have helped me really think about how to ask smart questions. But, but the kind of questions that you're talking about, that's another level of smart. And I feel like this podcast and your work and our friendship will have a lot to teach me and others about the kinds of questions that we might not be thinking of, forget about maybe not asking. And so I am grateful that you're doing this and I encourage you to help us all learn from the perspective that you have and help us think about what are the questions that are smart to ask while we have time before it's too late? Because I, I am all in as a student of that. I love that. Thank you so much, Lisa. This is an amazing encouragement for me. And I'm so honored that you took the time to be my guest. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, Consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.